Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here and I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Pasha Isfandiari today, an amazing individual. You're going to learn about the professional poker mindset applied to real estate. You're also going to learn about what it means to put people first. You're also going to learn about establishing and outlining your life in 10-year increments so that you can create massive impact, so that you can scale your business, so that you can design your life the exact way that you want it to be designed. This is an amazing episode. I want to encourage you to buckle up. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. And welcome to Elevate Podcast. If it's your first time listening, welcome. We are so thankful to have the opportunity to pour into your cup today. If you've been here before, welcome back. So thankful. Uh, we're just thankful for all of you. Elevate Nation, you're important to us. This is a movement and you're a part of this movement. And this is, this is something big here. And I just want to thank you for sharing this podcast. That's the fee is to share this episode with one person. That's it. Just send a text message, send an email, post on social media, mention the podcast. That's the fee for listening today. That's all you have to do. Very, very simple. And because of you, we're experiencing record growth and uh, this community is getting stronger. It's getting more impactful the vibrations and the wavelengths across the world and across the globe and the universe are very strong as a result. I know that may sound corny to maybe some of you, but I can tell you there's a real, real thing going on here. And I'm just so thankful for this. I'm thankful for the opportunity. If you have not already, give us a rating, review, and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcasts on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts because we're going to continue to bring massive value. And it's very important to us. And by the way, we listen and we read every single review. So thank you for all of you. Uh, thank you again for being here. With all that said, I want to dive in and quit buttering you up because it's now about time to receive massive value. Uh, Pasha Isfandiari, he started his career in real estate in 2011 he started flipping homes, founded auctions, and since then he has been involved in over 125 million in transactions across multiple asset types. These include residential homes, boutique motels, purchasing and management of large multifamily properties, and working with housing programs in vulnerable communities. In early 2021, Pasha founded Evoke Capital with the primary objective of helping others achieve financial freedom through real estate investing. His lifelong philosophy is what drives Evoke Capital to excellence, people first. Treating each investment as its own, as his own, and each tenant as family, Pasha has developed Evoke Capital within nine months to include a portfolio of over 300 units, a mobile home park, and an additional 400 units and lots under contract. Without further ado, please enjoy this awesome conversation with Pasha Isfandiari. Pasha Isfandiari, my friend, how are you? I'm great, man. How are you doing? I'm awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining me on Elevate today. I'm so excited about our conversation. So excited to dive in to your background, your story, and glean some insights, man. But how how are things going in your world? Um, you know, thank you for having me on first and foremost. Uh, I think this is going to be a great conversation, but my world's great. I've, I've described it time and time again in 2022. It's just, I've been so content on so many like facets in every asset or facet of my life right now, relationships, financially and health. I just feel the best I ever have. And 
you know, I think it's just a attribution to all the things I've done in the prior years, but it's been going great. My assumption is that's not by accident. Um, that has not come together just by happenstance. Could you tell me a little bit about how that contentness has all come together or maybe any, any thoughts? I mean, I, maybe it's just been the culmination of many years. I mean, tell me a little bit about that. I think, uh, that's a really loaded question, right? Because the first thing that popped in my mind, it was, Hey, it wasn't always that way. I mean, I come from a, you know, very kind of depressed insecure childhood up until I was 25 years old. And, you know, this was by design and I guess we're just going to get right into it. You know, uh, at 25 years old, I remember just being at the worst, one of the worst moments of my life, very depressed, crying, broke. Um, and I just hated everything about my life. And I just said, I'm, I'm turning 25 today. It was on my birthday. And I said, enough is enough. I got to start taking life really seriously. I got to start designing my own life. And kind of that's, and, and that's really what I did. Um, 26, I went to some emotional intelligence courses, realized very quickly on, I have been just uh, not processing my emotions correctly. Um, I haven't been attacking my dreams and goals. I've just been le letting life happen to me instead of creating life. Um, and ever since then, I've just been on a massive journey and I'm 37 now. And I've, I've achieved more than I thought I could achieve and I'm still young, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, man, you're just getting started. So getting started. did you feel like at that moment, like that when you were 25, like you were almost hitting rock bottom in various ways or tell me a little oh, bit yeah. about that. I had been, uh, so prior for the last five years, I had been really playing poker professionally. Um, I, I was making really good money, but I was spending it as fast as possible. Right. And I, I took on my essentially my brother's dream. He's a very, very top rated poker player in the world. And I said, you know, you know, if he could do it, I could freaking do it. Right. You know, like, um, and I, it was really good. But at 25, I really realized that I hadn't been taking life seriously and I knew I had a lot more potential. And that was my my breakdown. I had a really massive breakdown when I was 25 and I did hit rock bottom. And I said, Hey, I got to make a better decision, which is really cool because I always try to explain to everyone that it's those moments I'm most thankful for every moment that, um, I've had to make a new decision or I've had a, had a really big life lesson are now the moments that I am literally the most grateful for in my life. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, in that moment, none of us are like, wow, this is just amazing. Thank you so much for this horrible feeling of, you know, whatever despair, uh, depression, or, you know, looking around and saying, what am I doing? What have I been spending my time, uh, investing my life in over the past, however many years, it doesn't feel good in the moment, but you know, it's a great reminder for us now. And for anybody who's listening, maybe you're going through a moment, uh, yourself, it's a great reminder to keep going and to follow, you know, your own path, uh, towards what's, what's in alignment with who you are. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned your brother, you know, being a professional poker player and you saying, well, you know, I can do that too. Uh, but it sounds like maybe that just wasn't in alignment perhaps with who you truly are. Am I making an assumption there? No, that's a great assumption. It's really not. Um, when I was, so when I moved from 25, I, I ended up moving from Texas to Las Vegas to take uh, professional poker really seriously. And the way that I could play poker well was I actually had to trick myself to being angry at everybody. And so when I'm at the poker table, I'm actually a pretty friendly guy. Like, you know, yeah, you are. I, I really enjoy people and I really genuinely love people. Like I think they're the greatest. And so when I'm at the <laughs> poker table, I'm having to trick myself to hating these people. And I don't like that feeling. And I hated the lifestyle. I hated staying up late at night and I hate feeling uh, unaccomplished. So mm -hmm. really quickly was not uh, aligned with what I wanted to do, but knowing that real estate was always my end game. So it was like, Hey, let me, I'll win. I'll play poker. I'll win a bunch of money and then I'll go buy real estate. The biggest shift that happened for me was uh, realizing, Hey, there is no shortcuts. And let me go start off small and then grow my way in. That also aligns with uh, how I look at my life. I, I look at everything in my life in expanded time horizons or timelines. So, and that's what one thing you have to do in poker as well to be a good poker player. You have to take calculated risks uh, day in and day out uh, on the long term. And then that adds up. 
same with real estate, same with life. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what, if I just stop playing poker now and I start working to this real estate thing in 10 years from now, I will accomplish a lot. But the first three years, I may not be making as much money, but I don't care. I'm going to live in my vision. And I made that transition over to real estate. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I, I know we'll talk about that today in terms of the way that you do look at your life and 10 year increments and, and just the way that you kind of have a strategic mindset of, all right, so what I'm doing today is getting me to where I want to be tomorrow, theoretically, but I think about, you know, your story, and I find it to be really fascinating and unique. But if before we kind of dive into that, and, and really some of the things that you've learned from that backstory, okay. talk to me a little bit about your upbringing, your backstory, you mentioned uh, some of those decisions kind of in your early 20s to go to Vegas and what you didn't love about some of that lifestyle. But talk to me about your upbringing and uh, before before all of that. Sure. All right, let's go there. Uh, well, we came here from Iran when I was three years old. My father, uh, you know, God bless him. He really is my everything. He moved here. We, you know, back in Iran, we had all the money we had. Well, we had a comfortable life, but we had, you know, a lot of power in terms of who we knew and social network. And my dad had a factory in Iran. We were very set but he decided to move us here, uh, essentially broke because he couldn't move, move his money out of his business. And he came here and started working odd jobs for me and, and my brother, essentially. And he gave up everything, literally everything in Iran for us. And I just can't even now imagine the sacrifices, but you know, I'm not a father yet, but I can't wait to be. And we're in the process of trying, but just so that happened. So growing up, my father was working you know, from morning to night. And so I had to really raise myself. I was, uh, you know, I was kind of going through life because really in a Persian family, you don't talk about emotions very much. And I, I would love to talk about emotions now that I'm older and realize mm. that. Um, and so it was pretty difficult for me. And I, I found it was easier to withdraw and I withdrew into video games and I played a lot of video games um, and I became very antisocial as I got into high school and on. And, um, so that, that stuck with me. Um, I had to really learn who I was outside of being, you know, night or uh, outside of high school. Um, I flunked out of essentially college and I just started along this path of playing poker and working odd jobs. And then it just kind of led one thing to another. So just curious, why did your dad make that decision to move the family uh, when he had so much set up for success in Iran? Well, my mother's cousin, uh, unfortunately, got killed by essentially a missile, uh, just randomly hit her and she was just a casualty. And so he said, enough is enough. I can't take this anymore. And he said, I got to get my kids out of here. Yeah. You know, back in, back in then, uh, everything was unsafe in Iran. Mm -hmm. And so he said, I won't risk that. And he, and he moved here and he also knew the opportunities here, uh, were a lot better. Yeah. Well, just big shout out to you. I mean, for being able to look back in your story to be able to recognize that you kind of, you avoided emotions for so long and you just went within and, and, you know, you described yourself as someone who loves people. And I can only imagine how, um, you know, stifling that must have felt for you just kind of going within and just, you know, focusing on, you know, video games and things like that and being uh, antisocial to a certain degree. And I think about that. And it's almost like, wow, this this little boy, you know, who wanted to blossom, but couldn't uh, or, or maybe wasn't didn't, you know, place in the opportunity. But now just what you've become as a human being, I just think is amazing. And so thinking about, you know, your evolution then to become, you know, really what you describe as a college dropout who then started playing poker. Tell me a little bit about that experience, because, you know, it sounds like you obviously have a lot of intellect, but you just didn't want to apply it in in academic setting or tell me a little bit about that. That's exactly right. Um, I didn't apply myself. Obviously, if I can go back and, and do it over again, I would. But I just didn't have the tools. I don't feel like. Um, you know, back when I was a child, I just didn't feel like anything really mattered, unfortunately. Right. And and that was a no fault other than myself and me withdrawing. It wasn't that like my dad wasn't there for me or anything. That was just my own uh, stories I was telling myself. Mm -hmm. um, but it really was be, became applying to myself. And I always knew that I was really uh, pretty good and pretty savvy at anything that I decided to do. And I, back then at poker, when I first started, 
everyone was flooding into poker and you don't really have to be that good to make a lot of money. Right. Like Interesting. So you could, and I obviously had my brother to, to help me out and give me some tips, but I didn't have to be that good. I just had to be a little bit better than everybody else. That's, you know, this is the modern uh, misconception of, of poker. You don't have to be the best player in the world. You just have to be a tiny bit better than anyone else you're playing with. Um, and I was always really good at game selection and I was always really good at getting myself into good games because I think generally people liked me and, and they wanted me there. <laughs> I could see that. I'd love to hang out with you and play some poker with you, but uh, hopefully you wouldn't take my money, but I'm sure you would. Uh, so when you got into poker, so obviously for a few years, it was like, man, this is just not the lifestyle that I wanted to live. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you always have the thought in mind that, hey, within 10 years, I'm going to be doing real estate. I'm going to leverage this into a real estate business as an investor and so forth. Or, or was that did that just come later? I had this uh, really powerful drive within within me always. Like I, I always knew that I was going to achieve anything I wanted to, and but poker really it can at a fault hold you down because you make really good money, but you never make life changing money. And I and there's like a stat that I would say it's about one percent of all poker players really make any substantial money. There's about like maybe you know, five to 10% that actually make money from it. But I would say substantial money from it would be in that 1%, maybe even a little less than 1%. Um, So when I really was able to get out of poker and see my life that way, I said, okay, like I can make good money at poker, but I could really build something special here in real estate. And that's what I decided to do. So when you say substantial money, do you mean like generational wealth type of money or what are we talking about? No, not even. I would just say like, you know, having living a really good life and having a few million dollars. Got it. Say that. Oh yeah. I mean, most poker players, unfortunately, Tyler, they have they're really good at poker, but they're really bad at life. (laughs) I mean by that, as in they have a lot of gambling habits. Mm -hmm. They do they do bet a lot of sports, and they're just addicted to that um, drive of of like instant gratification. Mm And, and whatnot. And so that was never me. My skill in poker was the discipline outside of the poker table. Um, and I carried that out forward. Yeah. And you, you evolved from, you know, in some ways, and obviously I think there's a ton of strategy in poker and, and, you know, in some ways you may not describe it as gambling in other ways you would probably describe, describe it as gambling. I mean, they're talking about a lot of probability here and so forth, but when you, you know, one of the things that I know about you is that you're more intuitive, not much of a, you know, you're not on the side of, Hey, playing the probabilities as much, which I definitely want to dive into and reading into the emotional intelligence piece, but you went from being somewhat of a gambler to then being an investor, right? So, which is a big difference. So talk to me about that evolution. Sure. So right when I moved to Vegas, uh, I very quickly realized that I did not want to do this. And I started working to get my real estate license because I knew I wanted to be an investor. And I said, Hey, one thing I always do in everything is I want education. Like, how can I educate myself? Which is really great because we all have the information at our fingertips now. And so I actually uh, signed up for a Keller Williams brokerage to try to get my, my uh, license, my education, which I was doing um, while at the same time, just really doing it for the education. But just being having the network I had, I started getting so much business. I started doing the realtor route. And I was a realtor for about a year. And I, I really built up my business really from ground up. Um, and I had so much business, I started giving it away. And then after about a year, I just decided, okay, I got to go full-time investment. Again, with the educational piece, uh, I educated myself and I bought my first uh, property sight unseen at an auction. Um, it was a mobile home and it was like in a 55 community and up. And they're like, you can't own this. I said, well, I, I technically own it. So I don't know what you want me to do. Uh, <laughs> made all the mistakes in the world, but still turned a little profit. And I got the bug, man. I just, from then on, I just started flipping as much as I could. I ended up flipping about 50 homes in the next like three years, three and a half years. Um, then I moved to Los Angeles and started doing land of construction here in uh, LA. Got it. So you started flipping, you did that for about three years. So then the next iteration was new development. Is that what you said? Yeah. So, uh, intuitively I just realized there was a lot less competition. I did one flip in LA and I was, I became, uh, a small fish in a big pond, Mm -hmm. you know, and the competition was really hard and which I wasn't used to in Vegas. And so I really realized, hey, there's an up and coming area in L.A., which is uh, north of downtown. 
this is again with a timeline uh, horizon thing. I said the, the trend here is downtown is blowing up. No one wants to move south. No one wants to move east. West is too expensive. And north, they have really cheap homes and they have really good views. So I went over there and I bought as much land as I could. And I started just doing as much land up construction in that area. And in the last five years, I've just been developing the land that I initially bought. And that area has skyrocketed. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's been fun. And or I got lucky, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe. You never know. No, Probably no. not. No, it's a lot of hard work, right? I mean, you've got, I mean, being a developer in some ways is a little bit of a speculation, but in many ways it's, you know, you're making a bet based on what you're seeing in terms of trends, in terms of demand. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, there's, there's not a lot of luck when it comes to the hard work and persistence required. I do describe myself as the luckiest human alive. <laughs> um, We're all very lucky. Yes, we are. Uh, that that was an area that was that was ripe to appreciate quite a bit. Just just knowing how LA worked and the trends that were happening. Um, yeah. So I would imagine that at that point in time, you know, you're you're starting to lean on your experience, right? Not only as a flipper, but as a poker player. So I mean, at that point, you you've got to be leveraging your background, right, and and maximizing your strengths and your talents and your experience into creating new opportunities as a developer, as an investor. So tell me a little bit about that. And I'm sure maybe you're still doing that today, but give me a sense of, you know, what were you gleaning from being a poker player previously and leveraging that into success as an investor and developer? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think I'm able to take risks faster than uh, other investors is one thing that I, I'm willing to do. You know, calculator risks is all part of poker. Once you see the, the great thing about real estate is it's a game of complete information where poker is a game of incomplete information. So uh, with enough education uh, on development and know my numbers and know my numbers really down pat, I knew that this was a risk I had to take. Right. And so I would attack it. I did. I flipped one home. I've never developed before, but I knew the numbers worked. And so that's why I did. It. I said, I'll go figure this out because the numbers work. I'm a very conservative investor. And that's what I did. And then still to this day, you know, now that I've transitioned completely into multifamily, you know, those are things that I still look at. Hey, where's my calculator risk? How do I get ahead of macro trends? How do I look at my, my real estate career as an expanded timeline? And how do I make those right decisions? And where do I go? And one thing I think about is game selection, right? Uh, I don't want to play in the toughest games that are, are in the world in poker. I would get demolished. Like, I'll just tell you that right now. But I'll go play on other bigger games where the games are a little bit softer and the players are not that good. And that's kind of what I do with real estate as well. I don't need to be in the hottest market and get the hottest items. I'm going to go chase yield where it's safe and where I can go find it at. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, we all get to choose the game that we're playing. And uh, one of the things that I think many of us have done well is we've chosen real estate as that game. And, you know, you look back and over history, I mean, most of the families and the individuals that have created substantial wealth have done so through real estate. So, you know, let's give a, let's all, all of ourselves collectively put a pat on our back and say, all right, well, wait a minute, we've chosen a great game, but within that game, there's so many sub games, right? And, oh, yeah. and you've described a couple doing some flips on a, several different asset classes, doing some ground up construction. By the way, was that on single family homes or were you doing? Single family, yes. Got it. And that so- was mostly on Hillside. Got it. Okay, all right. So, and then as you continue to evolve as an investor, talk us through the rest of that journey. How, how else did that continue to evolve? Right. Um, so then as of last year or in the beginning of 2020, just because I know I wanted to be a father, um, I decided I wanted to have more of a passive income coming in. I've always been fascinated and been really attracted to apartment complexes and cash flow and multifamily. And so I just said, hey, I'm going to attack uh, multifamily. And so I stopped developing and started selling off my portfolio and really transitioning it all into multifamily because I want to create passive income. Because at, at my heart, I want to be, if I wanted to, a stay-at-home father if I, I had to. My, my father had to work every dang day from morning to night. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I'm not going to stop working, but I want to have the option to, and I want to be able to be with my kids as much as humanly possible when, when we do have them. Uh, so that was a transition. Uh, I started off with a 74 unit in Kansas quickly, right after that transition to another 180 unit. And since then, uh, I closed about 330 units last year. And right now I have about a little over 
400 units in contract. I love it. And as far as your focus, is that a specific geography or give us a sense of what your investment thesis is now? Uh, right now, my investment thesis is all about mostly low income housing and or mobile homes. It is okay. the one for what I believe is the one thing in multifamily that the supply is dwindling and the demand uh, is increasing. Right, mm-hmm. Building low income housing is incredibly difficult and really not that feasible. I've tried going to light tech route and development. It is painstakingly long. Mm-hmm. And I, I would actually argue it actually caters more to the middle class or maybe the lower bracket of middle class instead of low income. And so the trend is, unfortunately, in this in this economy that inflation is happening, things are getting more expensive and people cannot build low income housing. So that again, that's another macro trend that I'm trying to get ahead of. And so it's mobile home parks and low income housing. And it's typically in the Midwest but I will go really anywhere. Are you looking for value add deals? What type of deals are you typically buying distressed assets or give us a sense of what type of deals, you know, jump off the page for you? Right. I love cash flow. I'm a big cash flow guy. So that's the number one thing I look for. But I I definitely do not shy away from any big value add, especially when I started flipping houses in Vegas. I took the ones that no one else wanted to touch, you know, half burnt down hoarding, you know, whatever it was, there's opportunity where people don't typically want to be as long as you figure out your numbers. And that, that, that again, gets related to my game selection. I'll go where there's less competition and I'll, because I have to solve more headaches than somebody else. I'll, I'll get more reward is kind of essentially the way I look at it. I think that's a valuable insight, especially today. I mean, you look at the the economy and the market. Uh, we're talking about tremendous competition in many regards. I mean, capital is chasing yield at the end of the day, and there's more capital ever chasing yield. And so with that, you know, we have a choice. It's, you know, are we going to be in the most competitive games that are the most compressed yields? Or are we going to look where the crowd doesn't look? And I think there's a lot to be said. Uh, about, you know, having that sort of alternative mentality, but thinking about like, as well, you know, sort of your background and the skills that you've developed over the years, being intuitive, you know, I feel like that's one of your core competencies and maybe one of your superpowers. So talk to me about how does that come into play as an investor? I think, you know, there's a lot of ways that intuition will come. Uh, for one, the first thing that came to my mind is negotiating. I love mm-hmm. negotiating and, and just intuitively, I can pick up on cues just probably from my poker background on what they're actually mean. I, you know, at the poker table, you constantly are just being bombarded with lies because they're trying to give you misinformation. <laughs> yeah. So you have to decipher all the time. And that is one thing that's carried along with me. I'm always thinking about like, what do they really mean in, in terms of the negotiation, but really just, uh, sticking with the numbers and going after what you know is happening. And when something feels right, just go after it as long as the numbers is right. And so on like this macro trend that I was talking to you about, that's intuitively something that I just want to be in. It makes me sleep well at night. I'm not going to price couch like these other uh, investors would on on the mobile home parks. Uh, I really want to take care of my properties. I really want to take care of the people that live there as well. Um, So it really kind of accumulation, accumulation of all these things. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. You just made me think of a deal that we're working on right now. We've got a, a seller who's a little bit of a slumlord and the property's in horrible condition. And we see it as an opportunity, uh, obviously, to to turn a distressed asset around. But we are in the middle of a negotiation right now. I will tell you, it's very interesting because I'm sensing a lot of lies. And uh, we have conversations with this individual and he doesn't really let us get a lot of words in. And it's pretty interesting. 
Uh, and I found recently, and I'd love to hear how you would handle this situation. We're, we're negotiating the purchase and sale agreement. And recently we're having a conversation and we, there's one sticking point. That's like, if we can figure this out, we've got the deal and it's all, it's all moving forward. But, you know, he's kind of digging his heels in on one term and we're trying to kind of talk, you know, common sense into bringing that term uh, where it needs to be. But he's saying, hey, you know, I got to go to a birthday party. I'm late to the birthday party. And it feels like, you know, this is a little bit of a ploy. And perhaps I'm, I'm almost seeing like this is a tool in the tool belt that's used in every, you know, hardball negotiation for him. I'm just curious. I mean, what would you do in that, that circumstance? So there was a situation where recently we had a deal and contract in Wichita that it was the same situation. It was a slum, it was essentially a slumlord when I went and saw it and you could tell he was almost the same thing. He was talking a lot and trying to divert my intention from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I would always just, I keep it very simple. I just go back to the main point. I don't get distracted by uh, the layers of things that they'll talk about and try to distract me. I just always try to boil it down to the main question and get to that. We ended up just walking away because we decided that for us, it was like, Hey, where there's usually smoke, there's fire. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that I've learned, and I'm not saying that in this scenario, that's the case, um, that I don't know what I don't know. And yep. I don't want to uncover something. And sometimes the best deals are the ones that you walk away from. It's true. And even though it made sense on the numbers, I just had this feeling of, Hey, something's not right here. This guy can be covering things up. Cause I already thought he was already lying to us along the process and his books were oh, really in disarray. Um, and so we just decided, Hey, this wasn't for us. And we walked away from it. That's a good call. And it's a, it's a great example of intuition as well. You know, listen to that, listen to your gut. Does it feel off? It might be off. Um, that's a really, really good call. But back to your point, and I don't mean to cut you off. It, it is that, I mean, stick to what you, you need to feel comfortable with it and don't give in because mm -hmm. there's other deals, right? Like this deal might be insignificant in the timeline of 10 to 15 years from now. It's not that big of a deal because knowing you very uh, quickly, you're going to go and attack and get a bunch of deals. Right. And so sometimes even if it does become a great deal, you don't know what if it's that one bad deal that, that really like hurts you or hurts your reputation or you know yeah. hurts you financially. It's just the risk reward right there is informed. Yeah. And that's an interesting one too, an important one. It's like, we got to zoom out because sometimes in this competitive environment, no matter if you are, you know, you're not in the most competitive game or you are in the most competitive game, there's still competition everywhere, you know, in terms of capital chasing yield. And in the moment, it's like, well, you know, we got to do whatever we got to do to get this deal, because if we don't, you know, there's not very many good deals out there. And so it's a great reminder for me and for everybody else. When you're in those circumstances, listen to your gut. Talk to me about emotional intelligence and why is that important and why has it been important for you to gain more perspective from an emotional intelligence perspective? I mean, I just got the chills, right, because this is such a loaded question. Emotional intelligence really allows you to be authentic. I mean, if you, and we're humans. And so growing up, I don't know what emotions were right, what emotions were wrong. And when I started really learning that every emotion has a feeling that gets attached to it and there's a way to process it. Like if you're mad, it's totally okay to be mad. If you're upset, it's totally okay to be upset. If you're happy, it's okay to be happy. And you don't need to be any way, shape or form. It's whatever feels authentic to you. So be able to process your emotions really is able to get you to a blank slate fairly quickly and to be able to control what's happening in your life in every facet, right. With relationships, with anything like, so when my wife and I, you know, if we bicker about anything, I could be heated in that moment, but just to remind myself, this is a fleeting emotion. Let me go sit with it for five minutes. Let me process it instead of like diving into it. And then let me come back as an adult and have a, 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 a a connection or a communication with you and a conversation instead of just being like a childlike emotions and getting flustered really quickly. Right. Oh my gosh. I mean, this is, this is so important. And I, and I know you have more to share, but I just wanted to comment on that because you think about it and like, let's just say we're going back to the negotiation conversation. You know, I can tell you that in that example that I shared, 
my emotions are running high. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why are you not letting me get a word in? You know, why are we not able to have a conversation like adults? But if I'm emotionally intelligent, I can observe that. I can observe that anger that's maybe kind of building up within me. And I can look at that and say, oh, how interesting, how interesting that this circumstance is making me feel that way. And that I'm attaching a certain emotion to this circumstance. So how could that sweep me up in the wrong direction? Right. Um, So anyway, I just I felt I found that to be important. And it could change your approach, mm-hmm. right? And maybe you just need to sit and listen. And then when they're done, okay, I'm really glad you told me all those things, but let's just get back to the main point, you know, this, 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 and this. Yeah. Yeah. And so instead of being unconscious or subconscious and feeling like a child or acting like a child who just acts in however they feel, now we can take control of how we behave, right? Is that how you, how you see emotional intelligence? Absolutely. I I describe it this way. I think it's a really uh, elegant way to to say it. When you're a child and you're in a classroom setting, uh, if you raise your hand, what happens to you if you have the wrong answer? Ooh, you're embarrassed. You're embarrassed. Everyone makes fun of you. So in that moment as a child, you make a decision. Hey, I'm not going to raise my hand anymore unless I have the right answer. Now, to even, even as a 37-year-old man, if I'm in a, in a setting, I have the apprehension to not raise my hand if I don't have the right answer. Now, who's controlling who? Is it the five-year-old child who's just reinforced that pattern all the way up to 37? Or am I making an adult decision not to? Typically, in those situations, you just reinforce that pattern. It's on autopilot, and you just don't do it. But now you're, you're making childlike um decisions and actions. That's something that you made a decision when you're five years old that doesn't serve you now. That's super interesting. I think about it's like, well, I don't want to make that call because what if I say the wrong thing? And maybe that came from that five-year-old self that says, well, I raised my hand and I said the wrong thing and the whole class laughed at me. That's pretty interesting. I mean, what tips do you have or suggestions for folks who want to become more emotionally intelligent? Uh, Is there anything that comes to mind in terms of training that or becoming more aware of where emotions come from and separating that voice? Um, I, you know, I think the first thing is first is there's a lot of emotional intelligence books out there. There's there's a lot of emotional intelligence courses that you could do that are very intensive. Um, but really at the end of the day, it's just about being able to process and label what your emotions are and seeing if it serves you. And again, the the common theme I think of this, this call is to be able to zoom out, Mm -hmm. to realize, you know, that, Hey, that emotion won't sit with you forever. Like it just won't. And so don't get caught up too much in the short term and just zoom out and understand that this process or this emotion will be processed. You will get over it and you can make a new decision and what aligns for your future, what aligns for what you want to create. And that's one thing like me and my wife do a lot. If, if we do get in those situations, you know, and we do uh, separate for a little bit, like it was five and 10 minutes. Really the question is, Hey, what do I want to create with the one that I love the most? Is it, do I want to fight with her more? Do I want to prove that I'm right? No, I want to create a loving, connected uh, relationship. So how do I approach this differently while also feeling heard and getting across what I need to get across? I think it's powerful to have the perspective that emotions are fleeting. Um, You know, I can tell you that this business is a roller coaster. I mean, it is for me. It is for my partners. You know, there's there's you know, you start the day and it's like we are the best that there's ever been. It's you know, we're unbelievable and we're crushing. We're going to blow out our goals out of the water. Next thing you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is the worst thing ever. You know, we couldn't be worse at what we do. And then, you know, it's just, just up and down. It's this experience. But that's life as well. I mean, we have these emotions of anger, of worry, of doubt, of excitement, of joy, and recognizing that this too shall pass in good ways and bad, I feel like is the ultimate, you know, meta training. And and some people may say, hey, this is corny, this is woo woo. But I feel like this is the ultimate training for investors, uh, for people who want to design a life. And you're talking about designing a life and, um, you know, interacting with you know, the, the craziness and the madness of a market, as well as our own emotions, like that's a tough challenge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This relates it to something that you were mentioning earlier. You know, every problem is fleeting as well. Mm. Most problems, right? There are some problems that are different, but, and I'm generalizing, but most problems do not last longer than a few days, maybe a month, but then it's gone and you don't really think about it anymore. And then just to remember to zoom out and say, hey, this is not really worth my energy and time. And let me just process it and get it out of my system. 
So Pasha, how do you think about what's going on in the market and the economy right now? Because, you know, this too shall pass, right? You know, where we're at, wherever we are in the market cycle, it's like, you know, it, what goes up must come down uh, and everywhere in between. But how are you thinking about the market right now? I'm just curious. Um, so my, the first thing is first, the market is the market. It is what it is, right? You just get what you get. Um, and you got to swim with it. You can't fight it. You have to swim with it and be able to maneuver around it. But you know, with what you're saying is, yeah, the market is intense. And that's why I shifted from apartment complexes. I've been now looking for more mobile home parks, but also just looking in the low income bracket for me is that it's also mitigates my risk at all. If there is a downturn, mm -hmm. I mean, I may not get all the top side appreciation that luxury, sexy Austin properties get, but I'll tell you what, I'll get 75, 80% of it. Mm -hmm. And if something was to happen, my, I'm really more resistant, uh, recession resistant or recession proof than the a class luxury, sexy multifamily is. And I'm okay with that. I'm not looking to be flashy. I'm just looking to keep growing, keep growing quietly and just keep accumulating for my own personal goals. And so I don't try to be flashy whatsoever. And it is what it is. So I just mitigate my downside uh, while trying to really uh, get put myself in the position to maximize all of uh, the appreciation that's happening in the market. Yeah, I like that. And everybody has their own goals, right? Their own outcomes that they're looking to accomplish. So you've got to reverse engineer your own strategy and the way that you are interacting in the market based on that. And I love the way that you describe it. it's like, well, I can be more recession resilient if I'm in this sort of income bracket in terms of the folks that I'm serving, because, you know, worse comes worse, folks need to save money, they can move into my property and pay a lower rent. And so I think there's a lot of value in that. But um, you know, also when I think about your approach and the way that you interact with the market, it is about designing that life, right? And and for you, you've been thinking about how can I break my life down into 10 year increments? And I really like that. It matches up super well with obviously with real estate because it's a get rich slowly and for sure yes. type of deal. So talk to me about that. And how do you look at your life in 10 year increments? Ooh. Uh, yeah. So everything that I do, obviously I do now so that I'm rewarded 10 years from now. Right. Uh, one of the things I could just really easy to relate to, like I'm really cash poor right now, but that's okay because I know 10 years from my, from now, my 10 year older self will thank me now for all that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what I do. I really have a crystal clear vision. I think everyone talks about crystal clear vision, but I really believe that once you get really, really crystal clear on who you want to be and what you want to become in all facets of your life, you start to look for things differently. You start to see opportunity differently. It's good to have where you want to be, but to really feel where you know exactly where you need to go and where you want to go in your bones you start to hear things out differently and you start to attack things differently. And so that's how I do it. I have a 10 year goal, every single uh, 10 year increment. I have it on a vision board right next to me. So I stare at it all the time. I journal every single day about it. And so I make different decisions to attack that 10 year goal all the time. So you said something about your 10 year future self will thank you for this. Is this, do you have a conversation with this future self? I mean, is this expanded beyond that? Or maybe I'm, maybe I'm zooming in in a direction that we shouldn't be, but I'm just curious. No, it's good. no I don't really like have a, that, that kind of conversation. I just know conceptually, like that's what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Right. So one thing I noticed in poker when I was very young is I noticed a lot of poker dealers who were in their sixties and seventies and it, it burned my, like, I really it burned my heart for them because they were doing the same thing over and over again for the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. And that goes with a lot of people. Like a lot of, a lot of people don't think about retirement accounts because it's not sexy to put money away now in the short term for your future self. Cause we think we're so resilient, but I guess the way I've been designed is that I know one day I'm going to be 90 years old and one day it's going to be harder to work. And one day it's going to be harder to move around. And I want to give myself the most opportunity that also goes along with like everything I'm doing for longevity now and biohacking and, you know, everything I'm trying to give myself a longer prolonged life at the end. I just think I'm always doing what I need to do now. So for my future self. And, and I journal about it every day to like subconsciously train myself. Yeah, there's a, that's a huge, um, huge importance in terms of, all right, we're making decisions that 
are going to benefit our future self, but not us. I mean, there's a huge difference, you know, right now, mm-hmm. right. And, and that feeling, and it's, it's a continual investment. It's a continual investment in your attention, your focus, your delayed gratification. And I just find that to be important and something that we've got to commit to. But when you think about your own sort of 10 year vision or your own growth patterns, I would imagine it comes down to, all right, well, who am I becoming? right? How am I evolving as a human being? Talk to me a little bit about your commitment to personal development, personal growth. Right. So if if you asked me this 10 years ago, I would have had a really different answer because these last 10 years has been a lot about setting the foundation, who I want to be as a man, as a father, as a spouse. And right now it's really, I feel very content in who I am and what I have in my life and what I've created. And these next 10 years is all about growing the business and growing my vision for building my own low income communities and my give back. Cause I genuinely have the, um, I don't know if you've ever read the book die with zero by Bill Perkins. No, I haven't. You know, he just talks about how you can use money on a spectrum and, and the most enjoyment you can get is, is on your, on your buildup and that you buy experiences, but you really don't die. Like you ha- you can't die with it. And mm-hmm. I really buy into that philosophy, but for me, it's a little different to what I can do with it and what I want to do. So when I am on my deathbed, I can see how much of an impact I did have. And so that's a lot of what I think about. And that's all, all the goals that I am I'm building towards. And again, it, I backtrack it to my crystal clear vision. I start with my vision first and then it dictates who I need to become. Mm-hmm. And then I work my way backwards. So when you think about your vision, is it more so the purpose of the vision or is it the specific outcomes that get you to the purpose or is it both? I think it's both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely both, but it's, it's, it's the purpose and knowing that what I can do on this planet means way more than my own life. And now we're just getting deep on here. Right. And <laughs> Um, it's what I can do with the situation that I'm in on how much impact I can have in the future. You have this people first philosophy and it almost seems like what you're alluding to a little bit is making an impact, but give me a sense of what, what is that people first philosophy? So it's interesting that you say that that's actually part of my business. It's, it's people first. It's the first thing that we say is it's, we are people first and people driven. Um, for me, just having to having to grow up the way I did without, you know, really being able to apply myself. And I grew up in a, in, in a situation that is not even comparable to other people in, in low income communities. And it just, again, burns my heart where you don't have the education or you don't have the help or the culture. Right. And I know I really noticed that culture is so important and what you surround yourself with. And that's what I got out of emotional intelligence. I, I decided what culture I wanted to be around. Mm-hmm. But when you're a child, you don't get to dictate that. And so I want to build these communities and I will build these communities um, that is around emotional intelligence, uh, a platform of empowerment. And I'm going to self-fund it, you know, and I'm, I'm on the trajectory to do it within five years. I'm going to self-fund it and get a model of it and then show other cities and hopefully grow this nationwide. But that's really why I'm, I'm in this business. And this is really why I'm doing everything. Dude, that's amazing. And uh, what a great seed that you're planting in the listeners minds right now, because if you think about it, you know, like what Zig Ziglar said, it's like if you want to, you know, create more value for yourself, it comes down to adding more value for more people. And ultimately, you know, it's not about receiving more, but that is the byproduct, right? That that can be the byproduct. And what a win-win situation, you know, the abundance mindset, the abundance mentality. And we have a similar philosophy with our company. It's elevating communities together, right? Because if we give more, if we uh, invest in other people and allow people to open up their future, then guess what? We're all going to win. It's amazing. And, uh, I think it's exciting. So, uh, well, that's amazing, Pasha. I I just really have appreciated our conversation. I think that there's so much to learn, um, from your journey and I know you're just getting started and, uh, I can't wait to see you become a father, uh, because you've got so much to give and, uh, man, I hope you're a a stay at home father with this amazing, uh, empire that's ever growing. Cause I can totally see that unfolding, but I want to transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's all about being uncommon. It's called the rare air questionnaire. So I've got a few questions for you. You just shared with me an amazing book. Uh, it sounds like Die With Zero. And uh, I'd love to know if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books otherwise, what would those be and why? Sure. 
there's three like books that had a paradigm shift for me when I read them. First one uh, would be Think and Grow Rich. This is a book I read every single year. It's the first book to realize that I could think whatever I think I can create. And that really was a paradigm shift for me. Um, and then secondly was Is Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth. That is a fascinating, fascinating book and just talks about how we're in um in a deflationary economy because of technology, but our economy is actually inflationary with our uh, fiscal policy. Really a fascinating book and really opened up my eyes to a lot of things. Um, it was awesome. And then Lifespan by David Sinclair, uh, just being, you know, trying to live as, as healthy as possible, as long as possible. Yeah, I think that it's so exciting. The um, the biotechnology um, and the advancements in longevity that we've all seen really recently and that continue to compound in a huge way. Uh, so I do want to follow up on that and, and talk to you about sort of some of your habits as it relates to health and fitness and longevity here shortly. But I do want to comment on I've not read Price of Tomorrow, but I look forward to it because, man, that makes so much sense. If you think about it, it's like you can buy a 85 inch TV for like seven hundred dollars now where they used to be like 10,000. And now, you know, you go buy a gallon of milk and it's, you know, $7 or I don't know, it, you know, you get where I'm going with it. And I think it's, it's getting bigger. It's in so many different ways from an inflation and a deflation standpoint, stagflation. I mean, it's a very interesting economy. Um, so any comments there? I'm excited for you to read it and see what your notes are after. I mean, it really just opened up my eyes along with the lines of, oh man, technology we already know is going to change everything, but man, it's advancing so quickly. I wonder what's going to be in 20, 30 years. So all of my bets are about how can I fuse everything that we're doing now with technology in the future, like tokenization of your real estate mm -hmm. or, and, and trying to fill the need of micro investing for, you know, low income, really trying to get on top of macro trends as always. But this book really does talk about where we're headed and how uh, it explains really about a lot of these things that have happened over the last year. And it's going to blow your mind. And it really gets on top and it doesn't talk about Bitcoin. It doesn't it like one like little clip in the book, but it really just makes you think about, oh, wow, we are going to a digital world. And mm -hmm. like, what does that digital world look like? And how do we get ahead of it? So how do you think about cryptocurrency and its involvement in real estate or blockchain tokenization? I mean, is that just, are you still in the education phase or where are you on that spectrum? No, no, I'm pretty deep into it. Uh, and I, I love it because I love technology. But, you know, it's not so much about, um, you know, one specific coin. Now, there are some coins that I do love. Yes, obviously. But for me, what really got me was blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. And when you understand blockchain technology and what it's going to do for the entire economy as a, as a whole, like in the world, and how it's going to connect everyone in a trustless manner... Um, then you're like, oh my gosh, this is something that's going to happen. It's going to happen sooner than later. You couple that with all the best developers that are coming out of school, all the smartest people out of, that are coming out of school are going into development for blockchain in one way or the other. And this is a trend that's going to happen. And right now it is very uh, user unfriendly. But once they solve these problems, once there's some regulation around it, this is going to change literally everything that we do. And it's going to do it in a speed that everyone's going to, it's going to blow their mind. And so I like to be educated on this now because let's say that everything does crash. I don't know if it is or if it isn't. I don't really care though, because I look at things in a longer time horizon. And if everything does crash, just like the internet uh, bubble did, well, at least I could pick the winners. Like back then I could have picked the Amazons potentially, hopefully you'd like to think you would, <laughs> um, but you'd have a better pulse on it. And so I just love technology and I'm really trying to educate myself as much as I can on blockchain and technology itself. I love how that's um, your perspective from reading that book and applying it to what you're doing and how you can make, you know, what you're doing more scalable, more impactful and more purpose driven. I think that's amazing. And I also think I feel like in many ways, we're like at 1776 again, man, there's like, it's like a revolution in the way that business is done, the way that human beings interact, the way that, you know, inter governments uh, are involved in certain things. And so I just think that it's a, it's a very, very exciting time. A lot of people may say, well, this is a very challenging time, a horrible time, but I think it comes down to mindset. And so, um, you know, you can look at it in either way, but I wanted to come back to uh, the longevity thing. Uh, talk to me about, you know, what's your perspective there? What type of 
maybe routines, rituals, uh, maybe shifts that you've made over the past few years as it relates to thinking about your longevity? Sure. Um, I'm going to relate it to about the last year or so, because that's when I read Lifespan and started taking this really seriously. I look at my life as in, uh, it's like a retirement account. I think of life units. Things are either taking away from my life units from the future or adding to my life units, you know? And so, uh, you know, I eat mostly vegan. Almost every study that's ever, and I'm not saying you don't eat meat, but I'm just saying in every study that's ever came out, most of the time it's saying that if you have a more plant-based diet, you're going to live a long, healthier life. So that's one thing that I do. I do cold exposure. So I have a cold plunge in my house that I do every day, at least, at least bare minimum five days a week and sauna, um, intense workouts, always like the hit workouts are mm -hmm. really good for it because you really want to, uh, re replenish the cells inside of your body. I do monthly NADs and I take supplements of NADs, uh, every day. And then, um, what's the last thing they do? On top of all the supplements that I take in lifespan, there's something else I'm forgetting. I do a lot uh, <laughs> for this. Yeah, I love it, man. And I think uh, there's so much, there's another level that we can all go to, you know, if we start to pay more attention to our fitness, um, to our mitochondria at the end of the day. Um, but uh, very, very exciting. And um, I would highly recommend that book as well. We'll put links in the show notes as where the listeners can find those books. Uh, but Pasha, if I had to ask you the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, what would you say about that? Oh man. Uh, you know, it's just to really, uh, lately it's just to be really present and to really just soak in all the love and the friends that I've created. I, I have been feeling so grateful, uh, this last year, man. And it's been, it's been wonderful. I'm surrounded by a ton of love and a ton of good friends and everything that I'm doing in my life personally, I'm just really in love with. So it's just to remember to be present and be, be present with the people and really like love hard. Man, actions speak louder than words. And you've done that today. Uh, you've been present and uh, I can feel the the vibrations of gratitude just coming from you. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have this conversation with you and I'm learning a lot. So I really appreciate it. Uh, what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Pasha? One thing is always education. Love. I love educating. And sometimes I've learned that people may not like you in the moment, but they will respect you in the moment if you know without being too pushy. Um, so there's a fine line there, but with all of my friends, uh, I really try to get them to think about the future. That is one thing I'm really, really uh, adamant about is financial education, especially with my, my friends. Cause I live in LA. I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of super beautiful, intelligent people, but they're creatives, um, DJs and musicians, and they don't think about future. And so I really, really press home on, Hey, do this. Hey, do that plan for the future. And, and so that they don't, they don't may not have to thank me in this moment, but man, when they retire and they're 75, they're really going to thank me because they have a retirement account or some assets like crypto and real estate that they can really like settle in on and have a, a pretty easy life at the end. That's a commonality across. It seems like everything you do, whether it's your health, your longevity, your family, your real estate portfolio, the way that you're putting people first, it's this long-term view and sharing that, man. I just want to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge you for, you know, uh, transforming, you know, that early part of your life where you felt like, man, I got to look within and I, I've got to, uh, I got to dive deep into this dark place in my, you know, in interior to blossoming into this amazing human being that is uh, really just getting started, man. So I just want to acknowledge you so much. I'm so thankful for this opportunity. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Just go after your, your, your goals. I mean, what's the worst that can happen, right? Like you're still going to have a roof over your head and you're still going to figure out a way and just to attack and don't be afraid to make any mistakes. I know that's said a lot and that's really cliche, but just go after it, you know, just to have like, you know, to, to relate, I started in this real estate world. I went and knocked on somebody's door that had a for sale sign. And I said, Hey, I want to buy this. And they're like, who are you? You work with a realtor and do you have enough money to buy this? And I was just like, no, no, I have a realtor. I don't know. <laughs> you have to start somewhere is all I'm saying. Yes. That's so good. And it, it, that's a great reminder as well, because we do tell ourselves that, you know, it's not possible and I can't do this and I shouldn't do this because of X, Y, and Z. 
but you just have to take action. And when you take action, you can figure it out and you just be surprised about what unfolds as you attack. So Pasha, what an amazing, amazing conversation. Thank you again. Really appreciate it. Um, Tell the listeners where they can learn more about you and what you do. Yeah, they could just go to Uh, evocapital.net. We just have a website there and and it's, it's all right there. Or get me on LinkedIn at Pasha Sandiari. Perfect. And we'll put links in the show notes as where the listeners can find you, Pasha. Um, But man, until next time, I really appreciate you joining me today. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. It really has. Elevate Nation, Pasha Isfandiari, bring in the heat and um, a lot of wisdom there. I just want to encourage you to recognize the depth of wisdom that we just received from an amazingly pure human being and uh, somebody that I'm grateful to have become friends with and uh, someone that's doing a lot of good in this world and and inspiring us really right now to uh, to make our own impact and to put people first and to you know question our own emotions and separate those emotions from you know being an adult rather than acting like a child because man there's so many people in this world right now that are swept up in their own emotions and they're acting like children and uh, how can we not do that how can we Um, you know, step beyond that and live a life of inspiration and scale our business and scale our influence and so forth, because that's what our call is now. And uh, there's just so much there. So I want to encourage you to identify your top one, two or three takeaways from this episode and share those with a friend and discuss those with someone else. Was it something that you learned about longevity? Was it something you learned about crypto or blockchain or low-income housing investing or poker, the poker mindset. I mean, there's just so much there today. So I want to encourage you to have a discussion with a friend. Also re-listen to this episode because when you re-listen, you learn twice as much. And ultimately, the most important part of all of this is to take action. So I want to encourage you to put action steps down. What are your top one, two, or three action steps? Maybe add those to your calendar if it makes sense because you know what? There's this fleeting sense of action taking. And, um, you know, if we don't capture that in the moment, we're much less likely to take action. And that's where the real power is. So I want to encourage you to take massive action. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in. And we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.